Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Watch This Immediately, the podcast that ain't nothing to fuck with. <laughs> Who am I? I'm one of your hosts. My name is Stephen Krause, and... Who is that over there? Munir here. Yes, that's Munir. What are we talking about this time? Well, I'm going to turn it over to Munir, and he is going to tell us what we're talking about, and why, and with whom, and how. We're talking about the 1993 album, Wu-Tang Clan, Enter the 36 Chambers. Now, why are we doing this? Because uh, you had not heard this before. Okay, but in a bigger sense. <laughs> that, that's the basis of this podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> but in a, in a bigger sense. Uh, what is the importance? Why are we talking about this? Why are you arguing today that this is a cultural touchstone? Because, so, in the early 90s, right, a lot of, a lot of the music of the 80s was rejected. And so, you know, in rock, that meant like Nirvana and grunge took over from hair metal. Sure. In rap, you had a similar kind of aesthetic where there were like these kind of hippie rappers, like De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest's early stuff. PM Dawn. Yes, correct. And so, yeah, I think Wu Tang Clan was a direct repudiation of these uh, of of these sorts of aesthetics on the East Coast. Like the Chronic, which we have also um, talked about on this podcast, that took place in 1992. But you know, the West Coast's always been a little harder and rougher than the East. So um, this was the East, basically saying, "Yeah, we're not, we're not about the life anymore." About what life anymore? Exactly. When you, what do you mean when you say that? Being happy, being carefree. <laughs> You know, so the good times were over. For having a having a sense of bonhomie. Wow. Yeah. It's it's all about how rough and tumble things are now. So crappy times are here again. Yes. Okay. Correct. Correct. And so yeah, man, it was and and just just the the size of the group was also somewhat unprecedented because there are eight core members of the Wu Tang Clan, I believe, which. I'll have to count it, but I think it's about eight. But then there are also these like junior members of the Wu Tang Clan who are not officially part of the core clan, but but they're around. They're the ones who have to wear suits every day and get coffee for the right. other members of the, the Wu Tang interns. Clan. Yeah, the Wu interns, the senior right. vice presidents. They get the coffee, whereas the, okay. the junior members. Well, and then just the fact that the so the RZA the the main kind of producer and the guy who's like responsible for all the beats on this album, mm-hmm. he he was able to do something that really no rap, no no kind of rapper had done before, which was they got the they got the group deal um, with with one label, but then he <laughs> negotiated a series of outs so that each member of the Wu Tang Clan could have. A solo album released by any label of their choosing. Interesting. Yeah. So you've got, you know, after this album came out, um, 1993, in the interim, I believe all except maybe two of the, I think six of the members at least, 
release solo albums between when this was released in 93 and when um, Wu-Tang Forever was released. I think that was like 97 or 98. Now, were there limits to how many albums the other members could put out? So it's like one album for the clan, one album. Like no. each person can have one album or just whatever albums they wanted to release the individual members oh, could release. Yeah, them. I think I think it was just they had their own solo careers and the and the RZA, he he very intentionally made it that way so that they could all kind of make as much money as possible. That is some shrewd, shrewd yeah. negotiating. And then, you know, they also had their other ancillary businesses like WooWare was kind of like, you know, the rock, the, the rock aware type stuff where that was also the era of when rappers had their own clothing lines that were super, super popular. And of course, Wu-Tang Financial. Oh, yes, correct. Can't not bring that Gotta up. Diversify your bonds. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say the last part. It's okay. <laughs> we all were thinking it. Although there's a there's a TikTok I'm going to send you later, which there's an old church lady who uses the N word several times in a rap. It's kind of it's it's a little it's a little upsetting. Oh boy. <laughs> so what is your history with this album? See, I didn't I did not uh, I did not really get into like the East Coast rap until college. So you were all about the. Cognac and the weed. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That was, I was your high school. I was all West Coast all the time. Okay. You know, just death row records mostly. But, you know, I also got a little bit into some of the other, like, labels from the Bay Area and all that. Dipping your blunts in formaldehyde. Yes. Relaxing. Yes. But, but you know, like, when I got to college, there were a number of people who were like, man, this Wu-Tang is something else. And I was like, I've... I've heard of them, but I've not heard them. Hmm. Let me uh, let me investigate this. And yeah, when I got the Enter the Thirty Six Chambers, man, I, I listened to that thing like quite a bit. I just have an image of you with like oversized seventies headphones on, <laughs> plugged into a record player in your dorm room. Yeah, <laughs> it's like your mind being blown. The vibe was on on the. The vibe was on, on that continuum, yes. Like you're both seeing and hearing colors. <laughs> That's right. I didn't know it could be like this. <laughs> College is a great place to discover anger. Yeah. Um, well, and, and just, just sonically, the album is so different from anything that came before it. It really is. It did strike me as very different um, from anything that I've ever heard before in hip-hop and very refreshing to that degree, and we'll, we can get into it when we talk about the actual album itself, but um, it was like something I had never heard before. Hmm, um, exactly, and and yeah, it was a totally new sound, and and you know, like there are other groups um, that I don't know if they were were copying Wu Tang exactly, but but it might have just been that the sound was bubbling under the surface, and Wu Tang becoming popular finally, you know, made labels try to find their own Wu Tang. Sure. The music business is nothing if not a copycat industry. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, you had other groups like Mob Deep, um, Black Moon, and, and, you know, folks like that where they had similar kind of, you know, these these sinister, like, piano-laced beats. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was similar, but, but you can never uh, exceed the original. That's a fair point. <laughs> Something that I was struck with while I was listening to this um, is the fact that music is 
music hit me different when I was younger, quite frankly. And I, I find it, I found it easier to get into new music or music mm-hmm. of any type when I was younger. Oh, yeah. The reason for that being you experience big emotions mm. when you're in your teens and your early twenties that you don't experience when you're in your forties. Correct. Um, but as I was listening to this, it occurs to me that music is mainly about sex, love, money, and anger. Uh, and that's, Sex, money, and anger, at least, are spoken to by the Wu-Tang Clan, but something that I hadn't, uh, something that occurred to me was another thing that the Wu-Tang speaks to, music is aspirational. Mm. So we listen, we want to be powerful, we want to have sex, we mm. want to have money, mm. uh, and we all want to have large groups of friends. Yes. Yeah, so with which we can sing songs. Exactly. And and, and we also want to, uh, to, to be Chinese Kung Fu masters. In, yeah, very, in a very real way, yes. Um, I mean, this, this spoke to... Um, I had a friend in college who was a black man, very well-versed in the various kung fu movies that would show on you know, public access. And yeah. I think he lived in Texas when he was a kid. Um, you know, so he knew a whole bunch of the Wu-Tang Clan movies and various other martial arts movies that I'm only now rediscovering or I'm only Dude, now discovering in my 40s. Have, have, have you seen Zatoichi, The Blind Swordsman? No. Oh, man. Wait, he, have I? He was on Sci-Fi Network. Like, they showed those movies every Saturday. Maybe. I, I've, Back in the day. I might have seen one. Okay. I, th- I think it was through Criterion, of course. Interesting. All right. Look, man, Criterion gets you everything. Okay. These, these are like the old Zatoichi. This wouldn't be the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Black and white, bro. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, Zatoichi, uh, what's the other ones? Uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. I've not heard of this Lone Wolf and Cub. Oh, really? Lone Wolf and Cub, um, what is it called? Shogun Assassin? Do you know oh, Shogun Assassin? No, no. This is okay. very interesting to me. We'll, we'll get into it further uh, off mic, probably. Okay, but okay. Lone Wolf and Cub is an old series from the early 70s, I think, from... <laughs> Is it Japan? Is it Japanese or is it Chinese? I think it's Japanese. Um, but it's a disgraced samurai and his little baby son. Well, if it's if it's a, a if it's talking about the samurai, then yeah, Japan for sure. Uh, but he's wheeling his little baby around that he's um, defending while he's fighting all these various battles. Okay. Um, okay. This is one of the many things that influenced Kill Bill. Yes, correct. Along with all the Wu-Tang movies. But uh, it was recut. The first two episodes were recut into a movie called Shogun Assassin and released in America in the, like, 1980. Ooh. And they're both very good, actually. You can you can watch the first two movies on their own merits, or you can watch Shogun Assassin. They're all very good. Okay. I'll, I'll note this. But, yeah, I was not familiar with Wu-Tang. I mean, I was familiar with Wu-Tang. I knew of their existence. Um, I had seen... What two different members act in the wire? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think is Method Man and Method Man, um, yeah. uh, God damn, why is his name not coming to me? Cheese. No, Cheese is Method Man. Oh wait, um, so not Method. The guy in season one is like, guess who's in here with me? Pimpin' ass Orlando. Is it Red Man? No, 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 no. That's that 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 guy's not from Wu-Tang. The guy who was in the prison and saw that Orlando was in. I swear that was Red Man. No, no, Red Man was not in the wire. Red Man is a much more comical figure. Okay, well... Hold on, this is good pot, but... <laughs> the Wire, Pimpin', 
Pass or Orlando. That's just going to bring you the guy who played Orlando, probably. Um, let's see. I'll have to cut this later. <laughs> cost is the episode. Mm. Hold on, let's see. Let's see the cast. seeing any any Wu-Tang members in this uh, list of people here. I could swear that when we were watching, that's not on IMDb, but I could swear when we were watching, you're like, yeah, man, that guy's from Wu-Tang. Hmm. I don't know. Well, because this is the scene that you're talking about, I assume. From the jail. Yeah. Well, that is not a member of the Wu Tang that I know of. Hmm. Well, that was a waste of everyone's time. I'm sorry. <laughs> <coughs> All good. Hold on. So, Method Man's the only one. Hold on. So, let, let's give ourselves a second here. So what was I talking about? I blacked out. <laughs> well, we we had Method Man and The Wire, but uh, but nobody else. Maybe no other Wu Tang members. I always knew that. <laughs> I was always confident in the fact that Method Man was the only member of the Wu Tang Clan who was in The Wire. I'm glad that that was a premonition that you had that mm-hmm. turned out to be true. It's. I have these facts in my brain, <laughs> and. I'm sharing them with all of you. Okay, okay. With complete certainty. Legit. This is my life now. I work with younger people than I am, so my entire world is people younger than I am being confidently wrong about things I know about. Yeah. So I have become that now. Yeah. Just just confidently spewing things that are wrong. That's the thing about it, too. And when you, well, you know, like when you bring it up, when you're like, no, I don't think that's right, they'll be like, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. What do you know, old man? I just know about the 80s because I lived through it. Yeah, it's like, hey, back off, Pops. I don't need your input here. Oh, boy. So anyways. So I'm old. Yes. Let's go on. Let's move on. But yeah, Wu-Tang. So yeah, you know, Wu-Tang, they're, they definitely, Method Man is by far the most successful actor. Mm. Um, I, I believe the others, there have been some others who have had small roles here and there. but Well, uh, Riza and Jizza show up in Jim Jarmusch movies on occasion. 
Really? Yeah. So they're friends with him. Okay, okay. They've been in coffee and cigarettes, and I feel like at least one of them has been in some other things that he's done. Interesting. All right, all right. Well, you know, like, I was unaware of... Jesus, there's like three like, big raccoons outside yeah, your that's, class door. Yeah, that's how they are. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the vibe outside. That's just horrifying. Oh, yeah. Look over, and there's three big trash pandas. Yep. Sorry, continue. <laughs> but, uh... Um, Total chaos. <laughs> um... Wait a minute. I miss... What was I saying? <laughs> this is all my fault. Um, I brought nothing. Method Man. We are talking about Method Man and then Reza and Jizza. Oh, yes, 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 other. yes. Somebody was in How High. Fair. Okay, so... That was Method Man and Red Man. That yes. How High. Yes. Okay. How High was Method Man Red Man. But, uh, but uh, no, what I was saying was... So, you know, the Z-A at the end of, like, Riza and Jizza, mm-hmm. I was like, man, what is this about? And it wasn't until last year that I, that I, like, looked it up and figured it out. So the Nation of Islam, or some offshoot of that organization, has what they call the Supreme Alphabet. Okay. And the Z-A is, like, something that brings a lot of power. And so Riza, his name is Rakim, and so you know R Z A. Okay. And I think Jizza's real name is is Gerald. And so that's, wise to change that for yes. your. That's why he's G Z A. And uh, Wu Tang is also one of the groups where, they're I think they were one of the first ones I heard of where they had like fifty different nicknames for each for themselves. And so Method Man sometimes calls himself Mizza. Okay. Just, you know. We can, yeah, we, we get the scheme now. Yes. And so that's that's a whole thing. And as I said, like, the Supreme Alphabet was not something that was widely disseminated on the Internet in, like, the 90s. But now you can look it up on Wikipedia. Excellent. Yeah, so anyways, Supreme Alphabet. And, uh, yeah, but uh, this album... What'd you think? How did you feel about it? Overall, excellent. Yes. Um, there are a few clunkers. This is not a fat-free album. <clears throat> but. There's one one point of great contention between us, but go ahead. This is not the steaming turd that All Eyes on Me was. Fair. Fair. You laid that dump on my chest, and I'm still angry <laughs> about that. I mean, it was so bad for you that that, that that's our new like lowest category. I argue that that was bad for everybody. Yeah. That, yeah, but we're not here to talk about that album because we've already crapped on that <laughs> plenty. <laughs> At least I have. Fair. No, this was, <clears throat> by and large, this was an excellent album. Um, Bring the Ruckus, classic. Fantastic. Uh, Shame on a Gentleman from the Neighborhood. <laughs> also yes. very good. Clan in the Front. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Wu-Tang's Seventh Chamber, that was okay. Can it all be so simple? That, that one was a little bit of a, a non-factor for That's me. That's one but of my faves, man. It, wasn't, it didn't disappoint me. It didn't really do anything for okay. me. Okay, okay. Uh, um, the Mystery of Chess Boxing, I liked that one. I, liked, I thought so, it was pretty good. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Classic. Yes, All-time correct. banger. Um, now, that 
was followed by an immediate drive off a cliff. This is where we, we disagree so so vehemently. Um, cream. Casuals of the ground make cream. Indeed. Sleepy time tea. No. It this puts me to sleep. I listened to it twice today just to be sure what my feelings were. The verses, bro. The verses suck. No, they don't. The verses straight suck. Look, you go to any real hip-hop head, man, and they will be able to, to, to spit out the opening lines. Like, anybody who claims to be a real fan of hip-hop knows from New York Times, uh, from the crops of New York Times side, staying alive was no jive. I'm not going to let you know true Scotsman this. You can be a hip-hop fan and not like this song. It's okay. No judgment here. I mean, we're passing judgment on this album, but no judgment on you, listener. By which I mean one listener. That's all we have. No, I'm, I'm uh, unwilling to see at this point. I won't judge you. I will judge you heavily. Do you care? In fact, I will revoke your hip-hop credentials if you claim not to like the song. And I will return your hip-hop credentials to you. Okay. Well. Gratis. Okay. Look, man, we were talking about this before we started. Okay. Motley Crue is excellent at nailing a chorus that fucks so hard you forget or you are willing to ignore or you just don't realize how bad the verses are. This is Motley Crue syndrome. I mean, it just talks about how tough it is to grow up as a youngster and in... The Shaolin Island, man. That's literally like half of the songs on this album. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but but this this is kind of like the the most raw, the most uncut account of it. Why is it so there's sleepy? No, but there's no fun about it. That's the thing. Like, bring the ruckus. That is like very melodic. It's fun. You can sing along to it. This one's like, you know what? Maybe the hood isn't as much fun as we thought it was. I don't need to reflect on that. The hood seems like a miserable place. I mean, you know, when you're bringing the ruckus and when you're chess boxing, it seems kind of fun. Just like how sometimes when you watch, when you watch um, Shawshank between when um, the sisters get, like, taken out and between, like, when that warden turns on him, it seems like kind of an okay place. <laughs> Why does anyone watch Shawshank Redemption more than once? <laughs> Why is that so many people's favorite movie? That is a dumbass movie to watch no, multiple love, times. What are you talking about? That movie's great. Okay, why? Because he was he was like he had this awesome life inside of prison. He was he had he was doing his his tunneling, getting raped. Well, no, that was after that was after. Because when the sisters got taken care of, that that ended. Point is, he's getting raped. No, I meant after after the rape. He's he was raped. Not disputing that. No, nobody looks at the time after they were raped and say, "You know what? Forget about the rape." <laughs> okay. That's in the past. Ah, fine, fine. But, you know, I mean, the hood's not all bad. Friday seemed kind of fun. Just hang out with your pals, smoke weed, and watch various hilarious situations unfold in front of you. Here in Staten Island, you're bringing the ruckus and chess boxing. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so why am I supposed to listen to this dreary song that's not very fun? Because you, you need to also know the the dark side of things. You need to know about, you know, uh, the unfun side of things. 
I don't care. <laughs> I'm able to figure that out on my own. I don't. Wow. I don't need a song that's a chore to listen to. Wow. No, it's not a chore. Me. It is. No, it's a, it's a pleasure. It is boring as hell. Whew. It but is. It is a nap for the asking. We we are never going to agree on this because, okay, m- maybe it's because when I was a youngster, like you said, you feel the big emotions, and I was certainly going through some things at this time that had me in a more nihilistic place than I would have otherwise been. And this song appealed to me very, very greatly. And I can understand because that. Because it, it, it speaks to a world that is cold and unfeeling. And that was something that I was all too aware of at that time. And I can understand that. Like I said, college is the place to become angry. Yeah. Despite the fact that they were easily the best years of my life. Fair. The angriest I ever was was in college. Yeah, you know, you never, you never realize, like, oh, getting up at eleven and then having enough time in the afternoon to play PlayStation is not real life. Yeah, I can. What? I can sleep through my first like three hours of work in the day and not <laughs> suffer any consequences. Yeah, as long as I show up and take the test. All of my friends are conveniently located. Exactly. Like, my girlfriend is one flight down. My other friends are one flight up. Fantastic. We have dinner together every night. Yeah. Every look, night. Look, man, I've had a great life. Mm-hmm. But just, like, for sheer, like, quantity of good things that happened to me, college was the best. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, that's when you're also your angriest. Because that's when I was listening to Anthrax, Metallica, mm-hmm. um, all of these angry bands. Yeah. You had long hair too. I did. I, I feel like I feel like you were always like your your long hair. I feel like never touched your shoulders because you were always headbanging. It was yeah. It was a mane. It was a mane. It was yeah. really a mane. It's pretty sweet mane. But I can understand. Yeah, it, it would hit with somebody in his late teens, early twenties, in a way that it would not hit with a forty-five-year-old man. Correct. Correct. Um, oh God! So many decades later. Um, but yeah, terrible song. Hate it. Two thumbs down to you. <laughs> Don't care, man. Because right after that, I mean, see that this valley of suck falls right in between um, Wu Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Method Man. Method Man and Protect Your Neck. Oh, dude. The, the so nothing but fun and delightful songs on either side of this crater. The 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 the, the torture. Skit before Method Man is, is, is a classic. Oh, yeah, we got to talk about that. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Listen, uh, something else that that speaks to the nature of youth. Yes. Um, you know, there's the fascination with, with sex, yes. power, yes. money, and also other dudes' dongs. Um, fair. There's a fair amount of dick talk in this album. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, it could be rebranded as Wu Tang Clan's thoughts about your dick. I mean, your dick is in our thoughts. The always. torture, the torture scene definitely involved the nether regions almost exclusively. Here's the thing. Yes, he talks about how I'm going to tie you to the bedpost with your ass cheeks spread. <laughs> And then I'm going to put, what is it, a coat hanger yeah. on the stove for like 30 minutes. <laughs> and I'm going to slowly push it in your ass. <laughs> yes! Now, <laughs> the coat hanger is as warm as it's going to be. Yes. 
it easily 10 minutes in. Okay. So the other 20 minutes, that's just for you. Well, yeah. He's decided that's me time. You have to you have to top up your drink. No. Maybe go to the bathroom. That's the thing. I think he's just staying there. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, well, you're tied to this bedpost. You're like, um, something going to happen here? It's like, don't worry. <laughs> it's it's going to happen. I'm coming soon, I'm too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's his time. Fair. So it's the rest of the song is a banger. <laughs> so good. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I think uh, that was that was a single off the album, and there's like there's a video to it. And yeah, man, that's Method Man's like solo coming out party, and he was. So I think he was one of the first members of the clan to get his own solo album. I can see it based on the strength of that song. Yeah, and, um, th- that song to Cal, or the album, sorry, to Cal, that was where uh, he had the duet with Mary J. Blige. You're all uh, I need. I know that, but it's been a long time, so I can't call it to mind right now. I'll I'll play it for you. You'll know. Cool. Um, yeah, Protect Your Neck. Tears kind of didn't do it for me. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It, it's a message song. Yeah. It's like something that you would have heard... I mean, obviously, you wouldn't have heard something exactly like this, but uh, the the '80s were a big time for message songs. I mean, like message rap, like Cream, Tears dealt dealt with depthy issues, and we've already discussed that you don't care about that. If you're going to force me to listen to one of them, I'll take Cream any day. Okay, because this one was just—I agree. This he, this one almost felt like a record company executive was like, "We need something." We need a message for the kids. Yeah, we we need something to redeem this uh, this this album, especially after you talked about putting a coat hanger on the stove and s- putting it slowly to someone's ass. Just slowingly. He doesn't say lovingly. Yeah, but I mean, it would. But be it's loving. implied. It'd be very loving. Yeah. <laughs> there's 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 affection in his words. <laughs> um. Wu Tang Seventh Chamber Part Two, also good. Yeah, solid. And the that's it. Well, so I listened to this on Spotify, and uh, it was the expanded edition. So uh, they actually had like a couple of songs where um, they isolated the vocals. Really? The beat. Yeah, it was interesting. They had that for Method Man. It was pretty pretty solid. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that I noticed about the album as a whole. Uh, that you don't really get much in hip hop that I've noticed anyway is there's a lot of piano. A oh, lot yeah. of the samples involve piano. Exactly. And I don't know why more. No, that was Riz's trademark, man. Well, I don't know why more producers don't be like, okay, let's just find a weird instrument. Let's find an oboe. <laughs> like, let's make an oboe this th- our thing for this album because it provides interest. It yeah. captures your attention. Um, and the granted, I don't know how much of this is sampling and how much he actually like how much he actually added to it um but there's a there's not a fear to um be dissonant i believe he know, i mean he knows how to play several instruments i so, believe that but yeah. with with hip hop you never really know what is right. what is sam, what's pre-existing samples and what's been actually added um with acoustic or electric instrumentation um but yeah the 
I was really drawn in by the use of piano and also that he didn't have a fear of being of using dissonant tones. Oh yeah, um, and so there was. Well, I mean that's why he was. Th- this is a, a, a very kind of groundbreaking album because the production is much much different than anything that had really been seen before. Yeah, this is miles away from, uh, you know, just straight out of Compton or something. Yeah, like or that. or you know if if you look at other more uh, contemporary albums in the East Coast. You've got, like, the tri- a tribe called Quest de la Soul. Those are much more melodic, much more up- upbeat and poppy. Mm-hmm. And if you, if, you th- if you think about it, like, Ring the Ruckus is... It does have these elements of, like, the classic East Coast sound. But then the songs after that kind of take it away from that place. Because, like, the sing-songy chorus and... And kind of repeating the chorus over and over—that's that's something that was done quite often in hip hop in that time. Sure. So yeah. So, I mean, that's all I really have to say about the album as a whole. Like for the most part, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much... There are some songs that will probably get added to a Spotify playlist. I mean, mm-hmm. Bring the Ruckus, mm-hmm. um, possibly Mystery of Chess Box, and Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with, Protect Your Neck. Those are all going on a Spotify playlist. Correct. Um, I'm going to actively campaign against Cream. Two thumbs down to you. Just like with Moby Dick. You don't need to read Moby Dick. You don't need to listen to Cream. Hard disagree. Two things you need to learn about this from this podcast. Hey, man, you can't always be eating Reese's peanut butter cups. You gotta have Brussels sprouts sometimes. I eat both of those things, but I don't listen to the song "Cream" because mm, okay. Brussels sprouts and Reese's peanut butter cups are delicious. This song is not. You know, I'll have to tell you more about this Brussels sprouts thing. I, I discovered something about them. Is it about they've been breeding them selectively to make them more delicious. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard of in my life. Love it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And they've been doing a great job. They've just been getting better and better over the last 10 years. Tell me about it. Um, But anyway, (laughs) this is the Brussels Sprouts podcast. Yeah. Good album. I would say, me personally, we're going to get to the ratings. I'm going to call it Cultural Touchstone. Because the songs, including Cream, Fantastic. Okay, fine. Tears is not that great. But everything else is good. Considering you've got an hour and five minutes worth of music, you've got easily 50 minutes of great music here. Yeah. And that's that kind of level of success is hard to achieve. Especially when you have this many cooks in the kitchen. Well, and, and you know, you... A lot of people will argue that the second album, Wu-Tang Forever, or sorry, uh, Wu-Tang Forever was the song. I can't remember what the name of the album was. Let's find out. But that was like, that was a double album. And a lot of people argue that it was, it was really, Wu-Tang, I don't know. Forever. Okay. Yeah. But a lot of people argue that that second album was a lot more bloated than it needed to be. Dear God. Just looking at the length. Yeah. Yeah, man. 45 minutes for disc one, 67 minutes for disc two. Mm-hmm. Look, no double album should be a double album. Yeah. Even the great ones could have been a better single album. Yeah. 
And so I would say that this was still a time, so Riza is notorious for the amount of control he requires. Okay. Because even though he allowed the um, other members to, you know, do their own thing record deal wise, he still pro- he still produced the first albums for almost all of them. Interesting. And um, you know, after kind of after that first album, you know, some of them like Old Dirty Bastard, he went to other producers. Method Man also went to other producers. And but but you know, for I'd say the first five years of the band's existence, Riza had a very tight grip on everything. Very much about a control. He's very much about control. So, well, good for him. Yeah, I would say sonically speaking, um, if you listen to the first albums of a lot of these, this, the artists who've gone solo from this group, you'll notice a very similar sonic palette. That's good. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, to, to clarify, our our tears are cultural touchstone. Yes. Atari Lynx. Was, yeah, Atari Lynx, beige carpet. Regrettable. regrettable are we keeping regrettable dalliance, or is it just going to go straight down to all eyes on me? Um, all eyes on me. Okay, fine. We'll go from regrettable dalliance to all eyes on me. No, no. So we're keeping regrettable dalliance. Oh, and then all eyes on me is the the bottom. Or no, the same our, way that Smokey and the Bandit is at the is our sole WTI at this point. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay. So what we're saying is we no longer have regrettable dalliance. Now it's just all eyes on me. Yes. If it's terrible, it's all eyes on me. Okay, yes. great. Okay. Regrettable dalliance out. Well, this is definitely not a beige carpet. And it's certainly not an Atari Lynx, because this is a triple platinum album. Yes. Um, so, I gotta agree. I gotta agree that this is a cultural yeah. touchstone. This can't be anything else. Because even if the music itself was not great, it had so much influence, and, and it still has influence. Because like you hear a lot of the trap beats and things like that these days, they have a very kind of spare aesthetic hmm. that I think was uh, pioneered by by this album. Now, is this? I don't even know what I'm trying to say here, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to say it. Okay. Because I'm not even sure exactly how I would want to ask what I want to ask. Well, we can cut it on post if you want. Nah. Okay. One day the question will occur to me again. I have a feeling we'll be listening to other rap albums <laughs> at some point. I think uh, I think you're right because most of my list is rap albums. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, until next time. Well, hang like, on. W- what are we going to do next? Yeah, time? we gotta. I'm. What we're going to do next time? Mm. It's been a while since I've suggested an album. Okay. Now this was this was a tight hour and I think two minutes. Yes. I want to go shorter. <gasps> okay. I want to go to an album that arguably has no fat at all. Mm. Now this, this one had very little fat. This mm. was not all eyes on me. Mm. Um, but we're going to go back to the seventies mm. time when albums were short because they all had to fit on two sides of wax or vinyl. So we're going to go back to what I think is one of the best albums of the 1970s, Aerosmith Rocks. Ah. It's, I think, 35 minutes long, arguably no killer, or all killer, no filler. Okay, okay. So. Was this pre-heroin or 
or in heroin or post heroin? This was when they had the right mix of heroin uh, and cocaine. Wonderful. This was right before they fell off a cliff. Okay, okay. All right. So both the, the following album is arguably more fascinating, but this one is the one I think everyone in America should hear. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very interested to hear it. Excellent. So we'll be reconvening for that album. In the meantime, for God's sake, protect the neck. (laughs) Peace out.